0: Podcasts out there that talk about what goes on in the black community, but in terms of like something for students in higher education, I don't, I don't see it out there.
1: I won't even do like an intro for you.
0: I'm going to say, Patricia, introduce yourself. <laughs> well, first off, I want to say thank you, um, Elle Parks, for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Of um, but. My name is Patricia Hartley, and um, I consider myself to be a higher educator. Um, I'm also a podcaster, um, and I also um, take road trips from time to time. Um, in addition to that, um, I, you and I met actually in the field of higher education, um, and then we both had a podcast um, on our campus that we um, work at, and that's how we kind of um, kind of cross paths. In addition to that, we also have worked together with the black faculty and staff um association as well. That's true. Let's go back to the beginning though, because this is funny.
1: Um <laughs> there was an email that went by, not this Thanksgiving in 2017 Thanksgiving. Like, hey, do you want to donate a basket, something or other? And I was like, Who's doing this? Who's who's over it? And you know, you were the person who were on the email and I didn't know who you were, and so we were talking on the phone. I was like, Oh, she's so friendly. And I made a basket and brought it over and some stuff to your office. Yes. And then the week after or something before the actual event, I think, you, like, walked in here because you forgot something or something. Yes, happened. I left
0: my phone. And I'm like, I went from
1: not knowing you existed to, like, twice in a week or twice it in was, two weeks. It was. And it was – the event was great, by the way. The, the basket event was great, and yes. we had time there. But it was finding out that somebody else who worked at UCF, and that's the University of Central Florida – was doing a podcast at the time. I knew of late night hype because I'd see your folder on the shared folder uh-huh. for the, for the uh-huh. studio computer. But I didn't. I mean, I just assumed so everybody else is a student. So it was ironic that we we were like circling each other because yeah. you started in 2016. I started in 2016. A, yes, you did. And we're circling each other. Like that's right. This is crazy. That is crazy. Um. So that's that's it how it happened. Meant to it be. was meant. It's kismet. Um, meant to be. So I think a few things that you've said like with your podcast specifically, because my podcast is kind of what it is. But yours, I think it's interesting because it focuses on creating a place for particularly minority students and staff and support staff to find a voice um, and share their experiences. One thing that I like about your show specifically is the... Hype Squad Chronicles, where, <laughs> <laughs> where the students ask real-time questions and you give real-time advice. And yeah. It's you and another student, usually, that you co-host with. Mm-hmm. And I think that is—I didn't have a late-night hype, you know what I mean, <laughs> in undergrad. Yeah. I was figuring it out asking other 18-year-olds. So let's talk about that for a second, like the the— the idea behind your podcast and how you decided to structure it—like, what did you see missing? Of, because there's a thousand things you could do a podcast on, millions. Yeah, but you decided to do this specific topic and, and target that specific audience.
0: All right, so I'll—I um, got to go back a little bit farther than to give you some deeper. Go history. for it. So. Um, when I was in graduate school at the University of West Florida, because that's how actually I got to the state of Florida. I'm from the great state of Texas, but I got here because I had a friend, an amazing friend who was going to the University of West Florida, told me about a grad program there. Um, we were both very involved in undergrad. When I say very involved, I mean we started student organizations from the ground up. Oh wow! We um, were both in our in different sororities, yes, but we were still very involved and active um, in organizations outside of our sorority as well. Um, not just within our sorority, um, and we loved it. We loved the idea of being involved. So when she told me about this field of higher education where you can get your master's degree and basically you can be in college forever, I was like, "Girl, that's for me!" <laughs> and so um, I went to the University of West Florida, graduated. From from there started working on campus in the office of student involvement um, and then um, something happened in terms of leadership at the University of West Florida. They, they implemented this new rule where student leaders, for example, had to um, now have a 2.5 GPA instead of the 2.0 GPA. And that kind of um, shut out a lot of leaders that honestly were some, some minority leaders. Oh, wow. Um, they were a big deal on campus. And so um, I started talking to the students about me and how I was able to make it as an undergraduate student and, you know, the resources I took advantage of on campus. But mostly the Fred who were smarter than me, honestly, <laughs> that I took advantage of probably more than anything else to help me with my chemistry, to, you know, help me with tutoring or, with or networking, or networking, yeah. right? So um, with that being said, I, I shifted my interest to more of, like, the side of, like, academic um, affairs, and I was also involved in radio while I was there as well. So that ah, kind of put, me in, put me in touch with the community, and, and it also allowed me to still tap into, you know, the student, even though I was still involved with radio as well. Cause you know, you deal with radio stations, they're giving away scholarships, right? So you're still tapping into, you know, the community. But with that being said, fast forward, got an amazing job here at UCF, um, met a student on campus. Her name, um, is Danielle. Um, she's an alumni now, so shout out to all the alumni. She told me she wanted to start a podcast and I said, girl, me too. Mm -hmm. So we brainstormed together. Maybe we met maybe once a week or so on average for about three months in the fall of 2015 and then finally we said okay you ready to start and then we literally called the ladies of ncnw um, from the University of Central Florida they agreed they brought some representatives on they allowed us to um, do a script for them and w- we came up with the concept and everything throughout our meetings and then boom from there we started late night hype now I will say that mm-hmm. we invited everybody to come on to the to the to the podcast so mm-hmm. we went on to the list of student organizations and we invited maybe 25 or so organizations they were not minority organizations mm-hmm. only they were, A plethora of organizations and a very good diverse, anything from, you know, the Asian Student Association to um, fraternities and sororities, whether they were NPC, Interfraternal Council, um, or um, even some of our multicultural sororities and fraternities as well. Um, So we were very um, diverse in our reach. um, And in terms of students, though, who really like us, who really latched on, it was the minority community. So this is
1: interesting because so you cast a very wide net. Yes, we did. And your audience
0: found you. And our, our, that's exactly that's what, what happened. happened. It's so exactly you didn't target.
1: You just you did your thing. Yes. And you went wide. And then that's and that's the way to do it. That's you exactly were just being what you. happened.
0: And something else, too, is like, you know, when me and Danielle were getting together and we were coming up with the ideas. She as a student, mind you, she was a student on campus and I was a staff member because I didn't go to UCF. Um, so she really didn't know that, uh, student audience, you know, Mm. and I, as a staff member was kind of like tapped into more of like, how can we bridge the gap between, you know, our staff, students, and faculty. I was kind of more on that side. Right. So I started asking more of like our faculty staff to come onto the show. And once again, student organization leaders Mm -hmm. were the ones that really came to the call and they were the ones that really was on point trying to, you know, Make sure that they came on, brought representatives, and also help us promote the show as well.
1: Right, because they were able to then advertise their events yes. and get to know one another. And I think what was interesting, you said, I heard you say before, was that you because you moved here, like you said, to come to UCF to work here, but through your show, it's helped you connect to the Black community in this area. And I think that's really an interesting perspective. Like Without this a doubt. was
0: a tool for you to connect as well. Yes, it was, yeah. Um, not only that but I also work on the academic affairs side of the house right so working on the academic affairs side of the house students don't exactly come to see you because you're exciting and you have all these great things going on (laughs) a lot of the times they're coming to see you because they need help um, in some sort of a way Um, but there are students who are proactive um, but it's not always those super involved students so it gives me a chance to also um, just kind of tap into a student that I wouldn't typically reach because I'm in a different area does that make sense oh
1: it makes sense I think this is where there's always, like when we talk, there's always these overlaps because in your show, you're often trying to, and in your work, you're often trying to reach those students and those people who are not easily accessible Mm -hmm. and who need the help but who are not often thought about or looked to, Yeah, right? And so even your point about having the student leaders at your other institution who didn't have the higher GPA being discounted out of the process, not because they couldn't do the, the the leadership role, but because they didn't have the GPA to qualify. Yeah. And so much of what I do here with the Engage Citizen podcast is about trying to help those people who are specifically marginalized communities find voice and find resources and trying to help them find their way through a process. But it's really, I think we're both really passionate about those people who are often forgotten and looked over. Yeah. And that's consistent in your work and in your your volunteer work. So you mentioned... In college you were doing a lot of volunteer work and I think it was like what is it, sorority voter sign-up. That's and, right. Yeah. Um
0: any I was actually president of my sorority. So when I tell you the Delta Sigma Theta is my sorority, we follow the five programmatic thrusts. And I will also say that, um, well, although I am a member of Delta Sigma Theta, I cannot and do not speak for Delta. Mm-hmm. Our president definitely does, but I can tell you about my experience as president and um the idea of like civic engagement and involvement actually um, started a little bit earlier than my sorority, definitely in high school when we were when I was involved with um, Student Government Association, um, helping students to realize and understand the importance of voting when they do graduate from um, high school. Doing canned food drives in my community right. as well, um, but I w- I have not been as I don't know my eye has been a little bit different on the prize for like the past five, you know eight years or so. Like I've probably yeah. been a lot more. Um, cognizant of what's been going on specifically in um you know our government and not at just the surface level of like income tax time and like just the you know just the basic stuff but even to the point of when I got my voter registration in not my voter registration but the ballot to actually vote in this past election that happened I literally made sure that I did the at-home mail ballot so that mm. I could read every single thing on it to understand what it said because even though I've gone to college and I'm I, even as a person with a master's degree felt like I didn't understand some of the stuff that I was sometimes voting for so this time I wanted to make sure that I understood so I got the you know I got it yeah, then to my ballot. At home.
1: now do you feel like you said in the last eight years there's been a shift um in your focus do you think that's just age experience or just the the current political climate we've been in, because like eight years is that's including almost a little bit of the recession recovery. Mm-hmm. That's the time you're graduating from college trying to find a job in the recession that you becoming a, really an older adult, you know, more on your own, moving away from like your college friends and family. I mean, there's I a, know, lot a lot changing. So it's interesting because I think that's true. Like as you grow and develop, that impacts your citizenship that impacts what's passionate, what's like animating your civic engagement. So it shifted. So, and for people who work, and this is an interesting point, like for people who work in fields uh, of service, like you're serving students and helping them find their way in higher education, finding time for formal organizations outside of the work, like when what you do, (laughs) I love your face, when what you do is, is, you're, you're in service. Yeah. So finding time to be in service to your community in a specific kind of traditional way sometimes is very difficult. So I know for some people they say, like, what I do for a living is my con- my, my give back. That's how I yeah. give back. That's how I serve. So I don't, I'm not joining things, but I'm serving through what I do for a living. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, is that how you feel? Is this this the way in your mind that you're giving back, that you're serving, that you're having an effect on your community by the work that you do?
0: Okay. Make sure I answer this question because I'm going to kind of go back to something because this has always been in my heart. Yeah. In my spirit, I've always wanted to, just as a model of Patricia, educate, empower, and entertain individuals in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Like that's always been something that I've I've wanted to do and I remember being in high school when I found that theater was my thing for example so my undergrad was in theater just to kind of let you know I got a scholarship for it my first two years was absolutely paid for for, because of my theater scholarship and my last two years I went on like an academic scholarship but with that being said I I was passionate and I found that passion probably around like eighth grade or so when I got involved with like oral reading and then it kind of led me into feeling like theater was where I belonged which um, with that being said is I, I don't want to say I felt like my calling was early, but in terms of the direction of my life, I felt like I knew that a little bit earlier than what you know some people did. So for me, I've always been that person that's like, I don't care if it's work, I don't care if it's extracurricular, I want there to be a fun element to it. Like I always want there to be me enjoying it, which is probably the reason why i don't always know every single thing it is that i do because a lot of the stuff that i do i really do do it because i really want to do it i really love to do it so my job working in the field of higher education to serve students and to empower them to you know want to do better want to reach higher or at least to reach the highest educational point that they can possibly attain um that comes from my heart the idea of the um the podcast and my theater thing that also comes from the heart, but it comes from my creative side. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's the part of me that keeps me motivated when a person or an individual physically can't tell me anything. It's what keeps me going. It's my, you know, it's my thing, Mm -hmm. you know? So when I do my podcast and I'm doing it and I have students on and they're you know, they're, they're being interviewed and they're excited. I'm probably more excited than what they are because I get to actually do what I love to do. I get to, you know, let my creative juices flow. And because of that, I'm not only happy, you know, working with the students, but I'm also happy, you know, in my role and in my position. And I've, I know people who haven't necessarily found that. But, yes, I have been able to marry my love for education and my love for entertainment and put them together. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm living in that. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Even if I'm not financially, for example, at the place that I want to be at because that's really what it boils down to. But in terms of what I'm doing, I'm doing exactly what I love to do.
1: hmm Yeah. So with your role and your access to students, I mean in- – Do you find a shift? I mean, I know you cover a lot of academic things, but you deal with a lot of students in social settings as well. And I know a lot of the shows I've done have been focused on young people who are trying to find their way within civic spaces and citizenship and how to make sense of the world and politics and how it's impacting their lives, what social issues are activating them and making them feel inspired. And I know around 2016, like that shift for me was trying to get students and people who were like young folks, marginalized folks involved in voting to get them to vote, to register to vote. And then many of them did register to vote and they did vote and it didn't turn out how they thought it was going to turn out Uh uh and how you deal with their disappointment and how, but many people were then motivated and inspired to get out there and get involved. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering with your access to so many, literally thousands of students what conversations are you hearing amongst them regarding like the, these kind of political topics? Do they have these conversations when you when you talk to them and talk with them and what feeling do you get when you're speaking with them about these kinds of things when it comes up?,
0: um. The conversation is no longer, you know, I think, and I, I don't want to speak for you in terms of when you grew up, but I, was, I grew up during a time at the earlier period, say, for example, 2002, 2001, 2000, where you were kind of told, like, you know, politics and religion, you kind of keep that on, like, the private. You know, you don't really talk about those things in public. Now, I will say that when it comes to religion, I don't really talk, I don't hear students wanting to talk about that in public. But when it comes to politics, these last five years, absolutely, without a doubt, I'd say specifically more when President Obama came into office, students became a lot more open to starting to talk about politics and now that we're in a very mm, heated space I feel in the climate of our government they're even more prone to talk about it whether you want to have the conversation with them or not like you sometimes I've walked in on them having Mm -hmm. the conversation, you know what I'm saying? So you, you know, you as a professional, you have to shift yourself to, um, be prepared to honestly have some of these hard conversations, you know, and sometimes even share, um, not necessarily your deepest darkest feelings about it, but just to say, Hey, you know, you're okay within your feelings. You may need to do a little bit more research, but you know, you, Sometimes students do make some very valid points. And what we also have to recognize is that the individuals that we have in college, those are our leaders today. You know, I think that we used to say stuff like, oh, we're preparing our leaders today for, you know, to be leaders tomorrow. No, we're preparing people to be leaders today, actually, because you can put a camera in your face right now and get on Facebook Live and say some profound things. You know what I'm saying? You don't need a platform like you used to anymore in order to get that public attention. But Um, To go back to what you're saying, so I don't venture too far off, students are having these conversations Mm -hmm. specifically as it relates to politics. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And higher educators, we are having to kind of figure out how we're going to, you know, have these conversations in these settings or is it even appropriate?
1: Yeah. Um, And trying to make sure the resources you're using are
0: nonpartisan resources. Mm, That's really tricky. (laughs) That is something else, you know. Um, referring students to a resource on campus, I think that helps. I have trainings that we do um, for our tutors on campus, I bring in experts. I don't try to be the expert as it pertains to diversity. I know I'm a black woman and I know that sometimes people look at a black woman and think, you must know diversity. Mm-hmm. Um I do know diversity. I know what it's like to be a black woman, yes, but I am definitely not an expert as it relates to diversity. So I bring those experts from our campus into our trainings to talk to our tutors about challenges that happen on campus. And that includes even um Title Nine as well, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. Yeah, we're in a position now where we do, as higher educators, have to sometimes um, prepare ourselves for some of those uncomfortable and hard conversations that students might bring up, whether we want them to, honestly, or not.
1: Yeah. And to pivot just for a moment, how do you, I guess, stay current or how do you stay aware of these topics like when you have students coming to you or not even just beyond students because it's beyond a job right it's you as a person who yes you have a role in higher education yes you do with students but first and foremost you're Patricia yeah so (laughs) um I think one of the things I always find inspiring about talking with you is the urge and the desire to be more to be to to find that next thing for yourself to grow as a person to be evolving as a person that that energy a part of what um, we connect over is that desire to be like so focusing too. on purpose yes. and growing and not being a
0: strong purpose too. Oh my God. Well,
1: okay. So, but it's, it, I think that's, that's really very powerful and it shines in different areas of your life. So for people, cause a lot of folks who listen to this show are young people are some are students. Um, many are, you know, margin, marginalized community, a lot of women um, is especially in this audience. I've noticed As a woman, as a millennial, I think, um, right? Yes, I am a millennial. Right, as a millennial. I still fall in that category. Right, it's fun to be a millennial. (laughs) Be a millennial with, like, benefits. I know, right? Thank you, (laughs) Like, Thank you, God. (laughs) Be a millennial
0: with benefits. Oh, my goodness.
1: (laughs) That's the real hookup. Um, But so being in this position, I guess some... Things that you've learned along the way, I always want to have a couple tips in there for people who are trying to find their way. And that's a part of why I, because it's really difficult to find resources and people. Yeah. Um... And that's a part of why I started the podcast, is that it's, you just really want folks who are in search of an answer to a topic to just Google search a title or keyword and say, oh, there's audio for this, or there's somebody talking about this. And so those who are not in higher ed, who don't have the the privilege of talking to Patricia Hartley, (laughs) what are some tips? No, I'm serious, I mean, because if you're not, like, it'd be great to have somebody who has experienced life and say, I'm actively seeking to educate myself on how to empower people as a living. But if they don't have that, like, what are a few things that you tell your students who come to see you or that you would tell even your friends or peer groups about growth as an individual, growth in your career, um, staying aware of what's happening in the world around you? What are a few things that you would
0: say to those people or do you say to those people? Do it go for it and don't be afraid to mess up. I think sometimes we don't want to start because we're trying to make it all perfect. Mm -hmm. The podcast, I promise you, we started it. um, The tech side did not go the way it was supposed to go. I was frustrated the first show. The second show, I was even more frustrated because I thought I knew the equipment and didn't know the equipment like I thought I knew the equipment. My God. (laughs) It was, um, I wanted to honestly quit. You know what I'm saying? But that's, to me, the time that you need to keep going the most is, is, is when you feel like you want to give up because that's when it ultimately pays off in the end and yes it will take some to be honest I think I selfishly I'm not, and I'm talking about the podcast specifically because it was probably one of the more recent frustrations that I had that I didn't expect to ha- have mm-hmm. and it was something that I'd never experienced before in terms of I had no control except to learn it so it's like either you're going to learn it or you're going to complain about it and then you're not going to get anything done so um, I'm still going through frustrations I feel right now but it's not the same type of frustration like I feel like I have a a a workaround for it. I just don't want to do that workaround in terms of getting my own um, equipment to sort of um, be a little bit more skilled on how to use it. But I'm also privileged to have a place that allows me to use equipment as well, where they actually will train you, you know, on the equipment too. So um, that is the advice that I will give to you is to, if you, If you got something, you know what you want, go for it. Don't not do it. Because if you're not doing it, then you never know whether it's going to be successful or not. And then you're continuously saying, oh, I'm not getting what I want, you know. Um, I think the other thing is to, for me personally, finding a good spiritual balance was helpful for me personally. So I went through this big fast in like 2017 that just really, it was like a 90-day fast. It first started off as a 30-day fast, and then we took a week off, and then we did a 60-day fast. When we say
1: fast, what are we talking about? We're
0: talking about, (laughs) um, I tailored this fast. So it wasn't, for me, it was a food fast of eight hours. I did an eight-hour food fast um, for 30 days where um, five days of the week, there would be an eight-hour period of time where I would only drink water. Um, and or coffee, Um, I did allow myself to have that. Now, some people will take all of it out. Some people are a little bit more strict, but this was the first time I'd ever did a fast and was successful at it. Mm -hmm. In the past, I had never been successful. But through that, I learned that if you really do want something and you fast on it and you pray on it, um, then I feel like I'm more likely to get it when I actually go through a fast. Plus, I'm starving my body of all those things that I thought I needed that I don't really need, whether that be like social media or um, you know, maybe it's a certain type of food Or maybe it's sex Or maybe it's, you know Whatever that ism might be for you That you need to get rid of mm-hmm. I, You can do it during that time Plus Lent is also coming up mm-hmm. I know some people aren't necessarily, you know um religious which you don't have to be religious in order to have a spiritual connection I believe you can do something as simple as like for example yoga or even like working out you mm-hmm. know that's something else that you can also do so find what makes you happy but it cannot be another person do not depend on another individual and I'm telling you this from like my own lesson I had to learn um you can't depend on another person Or another human being to make you happy. It is your responsibility to do that.
1: I think connected to that is your road trip excursion.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because it's true. I mean, it takes a certain person with a
1: certain confidence to say, "I'm gonna." Like, well, you explained it, but I think the fact that you took that step is you finding your happiness. You doing what you feel like you need to do for yourself. You're not waiting for permission.
0: You make a goal, you set it, and you go about doing it. So, yeah, please, please share it. Okay, so in 2017, I did the fast. And at the end of 2017, I said to myself, you've always wanted to travel across the state of Florida. You've been living here for 10 years. And how many cities have you gone to, girl? So I had to be real with myself. I wasn't doing it the way I was supposed to do it. And I had the means and the resources to do it, and I wasn't. So at the end of 2017, I said, I'm going to 18 cities. In 2018, I don't give a damn what happens. And that's exactly what I did. I went to um about 18 well I say it was about 16 cities I feel in the state of Florida about four cities in Texas and then I went to two cities in Atlanta now I did frequent more a couple of cities in Florida more than a couple of times so Mm -hmm. I went to Fort Lauderdale like three times I went to Miami twice I went to um Jacksonville twice I've gone to um Eatonville as well I didn't get a chance to go to Rosewood which was one of the cities yes. that I also wanted to go to and Sometimes. I will say that all the 18 cities for me at first was really going to be a selfish journey like I literally was going to be like oh I'm going to go to the club I'm going to go here I'm going to show people XYZ but the second city I ended up going to in 2018 was Edenville Florida um, which is a black township here in Florida I learned more about the city than I'd ever learned about it before I initially read about Edenville when I was reading about Zora Neale Hurston and the Harlem Renaissance when I was back in um, maybe middle school around that time and although I didn't go with her her, her her um poetry, I actually went with Langston Hughes poetry. He had some a, he had a, some madam poems yes that I, would, I that I did. So um I went with Langston, but I was always um I loved Zora as a person as a woman during. Isn't that she time. shocking? Seems so damn independent. She's so
1: shocking. Like yeah, I mean, the she more, was ahead of her time. It's one of those things. where I just ordered a book about Zora to be honest. Um, <laughs> Zora's Zora. life in Florida because she and I'm from Florida. She is so shocking. Like the fact that that life existed in the time period it existed and that she stood apart from respectful society. Yeah. Even with because a lot of times, especially as a minority, as a woman, as a black woman, Mm -hmm. all those identities together, like you try to find community amongst your own people. So you don't veer too much. Like I know I fit into the white society, so I'm going to make sure I stay within the black society on good terms. She was sort of out here doing what she needed to do. She was. And, I mean, even her work in New Orleans. Yes. I mean, she just really went there. Yes, she did. It's the more I learn about her, her driving with a pistol. And, and you know, <laughs> that period of time in these rural areas with no lights, no street lights. None of that. Dirt wow. roads. It's just shocking. So,
0: yeah, know. She was bold. Very bold. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Love Zora.
1: But so yeah, your your road trip that turned into more of yeah, a learning Yeah, it turns excursion. more of a
0: learning excursion. It just made me want to just like I you know, I helped to provide a voice on campus, I feel like for students and shout out to Sierra Cater as well cuz she's now hosting the we hosted together now the late night high podcast since Danielle has graduated. Wonderful. Um shout out to CeCe. um but I really just overall enjoy just tapping into the students but the road trip trish makes me want to tap into people more yes you know what i'm saying it makes me want to honestly it makes me want to go on the road and interview people That have, for example, maybe black businesses or maybe you've lived in a black township or, you know, maybe it's an HBCU and I'm just, you know, coming to your university and I'm popping up to see, hey, what's going on at your school or how do you wear your hair on this campus? Like, I'm coming to talk to you about what's happening because I don't feel like there's an avenue for the HBCUs like that on, um, to be honest with you, there's podcasts out there that um, talk about. You know the what goes on in the black community, but in terms of like something for students in higher education, I don't I don't see it out there.
1: I think that's a that's a very unique niche that it'd be easy for you to dominate because a you lot heard of that y'all. You know,
0: <laughs> did you hear the you?
1: The you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like a lot of and I looked it up. Like a lot of podcasts that are similar to yours are normally hosted by students exclusively. You don't really have a a lot of higher ed faculty staff, support staff people
0: doing this work and You wanna know why? Because please, Okay, I'm gonna tell you what the truth is. Get close to the mic, because it me, got real. No, 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 this is for real. <laughs> we don't wanna say what we feel. Okay, we go don't go further. Know, we don't universities are looking at you when you work in the field of higher education, and I'll say it. They are. They're looking at you. The first thing that happens when you apply for a job at an institution, they're Googling you. They want to know. And when you are a person who, who like me, you work a little bit in the entertainment, you work a little bit in higher education, it's easy for them to find you. So right? it's fear, you think? You're easy. Absolutely. Okay. Without a doubt. But well-founded fear. Will like, Give me more.
1: Like, it. you're saying that a lot of people who work professionally in this field, they're more... Afraid, there's fear there because if they say or do the wrong thing, it then could possibly have a negative impact on their career.
0: I would absolutely, and say so
1: that. that's realistic fear, especially absolutely. when you are. And I mean, we can let's go all the way there. So if you are a minority or a woman, or you have you're part of a some protected class, for instance, and it may already be challenging for you to get in those doors despite having degree mm-hmm. it's another level expectation to say on top of that I'm going to do something publicly that can make it even like two or three times as hard for me mm-hmm. so I think that's why again it's very special what you're doing because um and I do encourage everyone to listen to late night hype because it's not it's it's unfiltered <laughs> it's very it's it's a free it's open conversation. it's raw but it's it's it's
0: honest and educational it's we, right we stay factual we let you know when it's our opinion versus when it's an actual fact. And we stay very student-centered, you know, as well. Right.
1: I think it's the honesty. I think, like, even raw, but it's it's very honest and it's well-founded advice and and feedback. And I think that's what makes it interesting, but I feel like that's a part of what makes it special because there are many reasons why someone in your age group with your background and with your goals would not do what you're doing, you know? And that you're doing it... but I think it's a it's a definitely a niche because in Florida there are a lot of really great HBCUs. There's yes.
0: Um, I didn't realize that there were a total of four. Didn't would have known yes, that if yes. I didn't do the road trip, Trish. So <laughs> no, I'm serious.
1: It's there's a lot, and when you look it up, and I think it is, and I don't want to. It is very important, and it's amazing for students to find their voice and to start a podcast on their campuses and talk about the issues that affect them. But a lot of times, it's students talking about just sort of pop culture, their life, mm-hmm. who happen to be students. Okay. Um. You don't really find as much about students talking about what it is to be a student on the podcast. Being a student yeah. is just kind of who they are at the yeah. moment. Yeah. So I think it's a very unique opportunity because, and not just for students even, because I feel like look, I t- what did I tell you before, like it's easy for me to do this for somebody else. I can, I can like, tell somebody else how <laughs> to like figure things out. <laughs> Let me do it for myself though. Uh, but it's a very interesting thing, uh, and I can see it expanding because. For parents and people who have high schoolers, getting a chance to talk to somebody in this field when you haven't gone to college yourself, and that's a lot of mo- minority people. Do you hear me? It's amazing to say I can email Patricia a question or yeah. I can listen up to this or you have episodes on certain topics and having experts who are in the field come and talk to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's People charge a lot of money for that. Wow. And so okay. I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying on a podcast. um, it's a very unique market. If that's where you wanted to expand to, you know, win it and you, you when it, if you choose to, because it's very hard to find access to information when you don't know where to start.
0: Yes, it is, and
1: that's the and that's in pilot. That's in everything. It's it very is. difficult, and I think that when you're in it, you just you think you take it for granted. It's shorthand. Yeah, of course. I know so and so, and so and so, and and it's like, well, you've been in it so long, you don't realize how rarefied that is. Yeah. Um, and it is very, very
0: rarefied. The spaces, and I will say that even myself, I will, I will admit, I have such a long way to go, and still grow. If that makes sense, um, I'm still learning more about, you know, educating myself on. True diversity, using the correct terms when I'm speaking about the LGBTQ plus community, um, ensuring that the language that I use is also very, you know, inclusive, you know, no matter what. So I'm personally learning, but I also want to learn because the students that I work around, um, they come from all different backgrounds. And I know that people are sometimes the same exact skin color and with the same hue, but I'm a black African-American woman, you know, and I'm in Culture, this area. Ethnicity. I'm in this area and I realize I'm a minority because a lot of the black people that are around me, their background is either from, you know, the Caribbean yeah. or right. Um, diaspora. It's yeah, it's a very diverse diaspora. So I'm learning myself and I'm actually a little a little bit more excited about learning because I realized that, you know, African-Americans, like, we have a different culture than, you know, my Jamaican sisters and brothers. You know what I'm saying? My Haitian sisters and brothers. And I enjoy seeing the culture and how they dance and how they celebrate weddings. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like all of those things are so – they're exciting for me, you Mm -hmm. know?
1: Yeah, I do. I do. I think – and also because of the population you're dealing with, it it does take continual learning because you said you're learning a lot on, you know – gender and LGBTQ issues, but a lot of this is new. Like, even in higher education, these are new research areas. So gender theory has blown up. And so it just, the the terminologies is being created as we speak. Like, in the last 10 years, there have been so many new terminologies that you have to learn in order to be respectful. Um, But it does take constant vigilance and learning uh, as you go on. So plans, plans for this season of Late Night Hype, um, and what themes you think you might cover on the show, and I just want to hear more about what your plans are because this is a vision board. I mean, January is technically over, but we're still. I'm in vision board planning. That's right, baby. Still. still, the first quarter of the year. That there you go. Huh. So, what's the what's your vision? What's your plans for your podcast?
0: Um, I say for Late Night Hype to keep going, continue to do what we do, but then expand our platforms because right now we're just on SoundCloud, and mm-hmm. so we need to expand out um, to some different markets. So we're looking to. Somehow get on Apple Podcast, but it's really the Anchor platform that we're considering trans- transitioning over to. I was been doing some research, and Anchor might Anchor be just FM, like Anchor FM. Mm-hmm. Yep, it might be just kind of like a little one stop shop. We can record everything, upload it to a program. I mean, upload it, and then I think we can do some editing to it, and then I can convert it and then upload it. But my SoundCloud has just it's the reach isn't there. Yeah. As much as other platforms that will help you push your podcast out.
1: Yeah. So SoundCloud is also where I upload and then I feed into Apple. But right. I do. I heard a lot about, you know, Stitcher and Anchor FM and different places like that. And iHeartRadio has some things. But I this is a moment, I think, of rethink because there's so many more options. Than yeah, we need even to reimagine.
0: Do you hear yeah. me? Like yeah. two years ago when we came. <laughs> look. No, no, no. Let's talk about that. Can we talk about that? Well we came when we came up in this thing in two thousand sixteen or even let's go back to two thousand fifteen because we was conceptualizing yes. everything that we needed to do. So yes. two thousand fifteen, like the reason why this was an attractive place was because that podcasting equipment that you seen yeah. was huge and just is yes. a lot. It was a lot. Now within two years, yeah, they have dumbed stuff down to the point of a button push.
1: Amazon. I mean, because even so I bought equipment last spring. And even from last spring to now, there's simpler equipment to have. Uh, The microphones are better and the user interface is better. And you can go on Amazon and just get literally bundles. Like they have like podcasting bundles you can buy of this equipment. But yeah, I think it is a time to kind of reimagine if you're in the podcasting world. And, And also, too, I will say this because... Um, you mentioned just kind of the thinking through in 2015 and the thinking that you did before you started your podcast. I think a lot of people, and then also you mentioned, you know, just do it. Those two things are sticking with me because it's <laughs> it's, it's very true. Those are two things I had to work through before starting this. Like I was a podcast podcast listener for years before. Like, since maybe 2011, 12?
0: Really? Oh,
1: for years and years. Really? Um, I love it. But it's, I love audio. I love audio books. It was an easy leap for me. But <laughs> the, the, the leap to say, I want to get involved with this, I had to have a really, really strong why. Gotcha. So, I mean, I had to think about that. It mm. really was, um, because of where I work and what I do, the people I had access to, and saying, how do I use what I have to help people and that but getting that why was that push over the edge you do have to take time to think about it yeah and it may change like that's what i'm this year this sort of season of the podcast is changing but i think if you are somebody who's listening to this and you know i do encourage you to take patricia's advice you do take a little bit of time to think about why you want to do it and what you bring uniquely to it and why people would care about what you're doing but don't let it stop you. Just do it. That's it's not right. going to be perfect. The audio is not going to be perfect. I think one of the things, and we've been doing this, I can't believe it's been, what, how many? Three years? Yes, it has Crazy. Been. But it's one of those things where literally it's going to change, but you have to learn by doing. It is. It's so many people and so many podcasts, when you go looking, and I'm again, I'm always in the hunt for interesting topics and listening to t- different people tell different stories, so many last a season, so many last, and, so, and that's fine, too, and that's fine, too. Some people, you have one topic, and it's it's five episodes of something. And that's it. And that's fine. But what you find, well, what I have found is there are a lot of podcasts that start and just stop. Yeah. And so really, and it's because it's different, technical issues happen. Consistency is, is key, the key, though that's the key key. and it's the
0: hard part it is the hard part and that's the hard part and i'm gonna be honest with you the late night hype when we first started we had like a website and all this here stuff and at first it was kind of like okay this is just hard to maintain but i realized now talking to somebody in the blogging world who said you know a lot of people are doing blogging directly on say for example instagram and they were like but they don't own that content what will happen is if instagram pulls away what's going to happen you're not going to own that content anymore so you need to have your own website so right now i'm backtracking to do something that initially i started doing but got lazy because i'm like oh Oh, well, we got Instagram now. We have these platforms right. and we're gonna use the those. The
1: conversation but changed
0: around it. That's right. Yeah. And it's time to actually do an official website again. Plus Facebook Live is another thing. Yes. That kinda changed the game on another level as well.
1: That audio video You know what? It's vlogging started it. Like it was blogging and then vlogging was a thing on YouTube and stuff like that. And now it's now audio and recording and so it's it's all working together, but that ownership question is a very good point. It's the idea of if you don't actually have a domain of your own and you're using these platforms, mm-hmm. you have to have somewhere to house it. But if you are just thinking about getting started, just get started. I think SoundCloud is free for like a certain number of audio file uploads.
0: Then they start
1: charging, and then they start charging. But honestly, that was the thing of like, let me just record something. I, I mean, to be honest, I have interviews I have not uploaded, or I uploaded mm. and I took down. Okay, um, you don't have to upload everything you record. You don't. You don't have to have every. And, and also, editing is a thing. <laughs> you can edit. You can edit. Um, I think I'm editing less now than I was before. I, I think I actually want the. The quirky wonkiness of an interview that's live,
0: ah, oh, um, a little bit. Not, I like not, it. I like
1: it sometimes, I like it. but sometimes I, I I like to edit because of, um, the people I'm talking to. I just think that it can be tightened up, and I can tighten up, yeah, you know. And so I, when I can tighten it up, because I want the message to be clear. Okay. So I I put that over, but sometimes I mean having some episodes with like this with live audio and person in studio. I, I see the benefit of it. But just start where you are. Start, I start where you are and be as consistent as possible. And some people like me, I don't, it's not, it's quality over quantity for me, or it has been, where I have, I wait until somebody strikes my interest and then I ask them to be on the podcast. <laughs> and it could be weeks. It could be weeks. It could be a month. It's like, well, I don't want to talk to anybody, right? Well, that's not, that's not it. It's, they're great people. It's just timing and And whatever. trying to organize
0: it in a way. Right.
1: How many episodes have you done? I don't know.
0: 16, 17. Okay. But you
1: have like 63. Yes, but
0: let me tell you, we were ambitious at the beginning. Uh, And when I say ambitious, I mean ambitious. We was doing a show every week for the first two years Mm -hmm. or so. Mm -hmm. I mean, every week um, with the exception of like the summer semesters. I believe we only did one summer 2016. I think it was the only semester we um, hosted it in the summertime. But it's a little ambitious to do it every week. But now that we're doing it the past year, Sierra and I have done it every other week. So starting in the fall semester, we started every other week, and that's been a lot more manageable. So we've also built up our, you know, all of our episodes. So now we can do a lot of throwback episodes. We have, like, literally, like, a year of throwback Thursday episodes.
1: That's wonderful. So at least
0: 52 episodes throughout the entire year, we could do a throwback and still have content um, for at least another three months or so.
1: Has your and um, ha, I'm, I'm I'm shifting again, but has your theme and or goal changed from three years ago when you first started through in 2015?
0: I will. We we've tried a couple of different things. I will say that the mm-hmm. first couple of years, no, we didn't we didn't overly change anything. I kept trying to get more staff and faculty on, but it just kept working out to where more student organizations they yeah. able to come on. But lately, like since I'd say 2018, since Sierra and I have done it, we have been able to get a few more, I feel, faculty and staff on, but still more student organization leaders come on more than anything else. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. So we've had over maybe 25 student organizations, five or six UCF departments come on. We've had like maybe 10 alumni who have been on the show as well. Oh, that's fun. Um, either they've simultaneously come on with their, you know, student organization leaders that are on as well. So Um, Yeah, we've had a a good opportunity to reach some good students. Then in last year, we wanted to kind of take it on the road. We really did want to go to other universities and like be a traveling podcast, Mm -hmm. but that didn't quite work out the way we wanted to. So this spring semester, we're just bringing it back home to UCF. And we're primarily going to be on the campus of UCF in spring 2019. Now we do still give shout outs to other schools on social media. So as long as they are um, a university or a college, then we typically shout them out. We look for diversity events that they're having. Like this month is black history month. We're looking for black history month events next month. We'll probably be looking for women's history, you know, women's Uh events on people's pages as well. And we'll just retweet them or repost it. So um, we do try to have an online presence as well. Yeah. That's, That's the key, I think, now with social media, trying to figure out a
1: a strategy that works for you.
0: Right, because
1: there you can be everywhere, but if you're everywhere, are you where your audience is? Thank it doesn't you. make sense. And we had
0: to, yeah. And it's we, trial and error. We did. We did like a little trial and error yeah. to kind of see. Now we're back at UCF. We feel the momentum gaining back yes. again. Yeah.
1: Now I wasn't gonna, cause I said I was gonna do civic engagement, very broad. Okay. But you came in here and said, I'm not a feminist, and so <laughs> we have to. Oh my god. <laughs> we have to tap on that. I can't
0: she cannot let me leave i mean
1: that was i mean that's really that's a statement i mean that's a statement at like nine o'clock in the morning i'm not a feminist it's like it's worth it it's worth it's worth a few minutes so we can give to it we have a few minutes let's let's talk about when you say feminist what do you mean doesn't have to be a definition of anything official but when you walked in what was on your heart
0: (laughs) Um, not necessarily. Okay. So, you know, when I think feminist, I just think, you know, an individual who's all about the equality of the sexes, no matter what. So when I think of feminists, essentially, that's what I think. And I am all about that as well. Mm-hmm. But when I'm thinking specifically about the uh, women's suffrage march back in, I believe it was 1913 or so when it began. And there was a divide initially between the white women wanting to work with the you know black women. So having black women who understood that that could also um sort of help black women who who was not about the movement like that mm-hmm. to to see the bigger picture in a sense. Mm-hmm. I guess when I think of it in in those terms specifically, I don't necessarily want to claim being on the right. Do you claim being a womanist? Yes, I will claim okay. be a woman.
1: I think that's that's very common for a lot of Black
0: women um, as they learn more about it. And that's why. And see, I will say that I I, it's only as I'm learning more that I know these things. It's not because yeah. I'm and and honestly, conversations with you, Miss Parks, oh have helped to um, make me want to educate myself more. That's why I love talking to you because you have factual things like you have. <laughs> You know, you'll go back on a book and you'll say, yes, when I read this book and she says it in such and such, you know, like you're a factual person. (laughs) You're not, you know, you're not with the, as they call it, fake news. You know, you have very factual information and you, you know, you just like my mentor, because I have a mentor, her name is Dr. Wiley, and I worked with her when she did a lot of diversity training at the University of West Florida. So um, I, even through working with her in diversity training, I had to learn that as a as a black woman, there were still some things that I still had to learn and I still needed to know. Yeah,
1: because I think you still have a right to be a human being. Absolutely. I, I think it's one of those things where sometimes, especially when you find yourself in spaces where you may be the only version of you, you almost feel like you have to be forearmed. You're supposed to know and be the example and be the credit, you know? Yeah. And you don't give yourself space to be human. You're trying to perform and hit the marks all the time, but you don't have to have all the answers. You, I you, don't. You don't. And I think... But you knowing that you don't and knowing that that's okay, I think those are two True. different. Like for me, it's like yeah, I don't, but that's also okay. It's okay to say well, I don't have to know because half y'all don't know either. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I will It was what was it last year? Michelle Obama gave a speech, some, one of her book tour talks, and she was saying how. She was sitting at a table at a board meeting or something when she was working, I think, in the medical field. And she was, like, listening to all these men talk. And she was like, these dum-dums, these idiots, I'm having imposter syndrome (laughs) about sitting here. (laughs) And you listen. And I think that's very true. When you get to—and you know this to be true in your own experience. When you get to these spaces, people are very intimidated by being on, you know, a university campus. Or in my case, like, politicians Mm -hmm. and congressmen and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. People are just people. Right. And you realize how human we all are and how much we all still have to learn and unlearn.
0: And that is... That's the equalizer. Talk about that unlearn part.
1: Yes. I mean, it's a lot of unlearning. It's a lot of unlearning. Um, Even people who are, you know, 80s babies, there's still a lot of unlearning. And a willingness to be corrected. But I feel... And it's... I'm having a conversation with somebody else that's related to this. Um, And she was saying how the ability to fail and still have another chance at bat is a very big point. And I said that's a very, a lot of men in particular um, or people in privileged positions have the opportunity to fail forward. And, and get a second chance. That's the failing forward. It's like you fail. Yep. It's not a character flaw. You made a mistake. It happens. Here's another chance at it. And, it's just not something that's given to a lot of women, especially minority women. Yes. And so you do feel like, if I don't know, I need to know. And yeah. if I don't know, it's not okay. Yeah. And that's sometimes my internal monologue of like, well, you prepare and then you over-prepare. You have to read and then over. But it's, it's no one knows all of it. It's okay to not know all of it. And it's okay to be, find a peace within that, that you don't know. Yes. Um, but you yeah, know so you 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 connect with womanism. I
0: connect more because with Because that, that yeah.
1: centers the black female experience within the conversation of equality. Yeah. And it's re- cuz you're not one or the other. Um
0: don't know you speak. You just just, oh, stop. No, oh, I love it. Okay, so <laughs> whenever I tell Miss Parks something, I feel like I tell her and I like have this gibberish in my mind, and then she regurgitates it in this very educational no, profound I, no, you're way. Very, no,
1: you're very, 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 <laughs> very clear and inspiring. Um, but I think this is a very real point, especially all Rosie really to Beyonce. So that 2013, when her album came out, that was standing in front of that feminist sign. Okay. I remember because, you know, in undergrads. The Formation? This was before Formation. Okay. This was self-titled. This okay. was the, 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 the secret drop. And okay. she, I remember the MTV performance where she was standing in front of the, it had feminists on the stage at the MTV Awards. And it was just the conversation that started with a lot of younger fans and older women as well on feminism because it was kind of a dirty word in pop culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I remember being an undergrad in the classes that I would take and conversations that I would have. And feminism was not the thing to be. You know, it was not—and I i think I've always believed in equality of women, of course, and I've always been very outspoken about what I believe in. Right. But it wasn't a mantle I, gra- I grabbed. I, I read about it. Like, first wave, second wave, third wave, the debate, blah, blah, blah. You read it. Um, and womanism was what I—I I really enjoyed reading black, um, black women discussing gender issues— That's what I realized. And there are some really great scholars that they are doing amazing work, like the work of intersectionality. That's Mm -hmm, a black female mm -hmm. scholar. And credit is often not attributed to them. And the work that they're doing lay a groundwork for equality across the board. But side rant. Um, (laughs) I just remember in 2013, though, that changed the way people were talking about feminism. And it became more of something out of the academy, something for um, educated, largely white women, and became more of a useful tool again. Like, it was in, like, the 60s, 70s, you know, right, where women right. were putting it to actual use. And I think now, to the evolution of the fact that you have, like, a Cardi B saying, I'm a feminist. Yeah. And people challenging that. And I think that that rift of women who thought feminism was their secret hiding place for, the, like, the Bell Hooks, who is very important. Um, but who has an issue. Like, had has an issue with Beyonce and her presentation and her sexuality. But I think it's because... It's the expanding of who gets to use that term, who gets to allow themselves to be called a feminist and thought of as being a feminist. And I think one of the amazing pushback of young people, especially young people in college campuses, and that's part of why they have like a lot of classes on Beyoncé's work at this point. <laughs> and is because she brings a lot of diverse people and gender and sexuality into the conversation. Yeah, she does. You can't talk about gender and not bring sexuality. Mm-hmm. And queer women. And the mm-hmm. work of queer women, you have to mm-hmm. not just bring them in because they've always been there, right? Our Lord raised us. But it's like you have to bring them in and respect their position and their yeah. voice and their authority. And I think that's what's interesting. So feminism... It's like you. I understand that. I think what, where you are and what you're saying. That's why I want to talk about it for a second. <laughs> Guilty pleasure. I think it's where a lot of women are, especially Black women, yeah. because there is such a history. It is of, of white femininity and how that's been used and weaponized against Black women yes. and the Black face. So you have to grapple. Yeah. Um. Especially because a lot of people think they're allies.
0: And you know what? And maybe they are. And I've read many articles where Black women and honestly even a couple of, if I remember correctly, even white women have said that. You know it's important that black women and white women work together in mm-hmm. order to um, progress and and evolve. I wish I had the exact statement because I- but
1: no, I think you're right. But like I think the best I would say, fem- white feminist writer right now is Rebecca Traster. Um, She writes for the New York New York Magazine and she has a lot of interesting books. She has a book called All the Single Ladies. Um, All the single ladies. Um, but I, she's a really, no. You know, she, she has a book on the 20, 2008 election cycle in Hillary. She has a book that just came out on anger and how women use anger, um, angry women as a, as a positive thing, how they use their anger to change the world. Mm. Um, she's very, very, very good. Uh, but she makes a point of saying and just acknowledging the fact that so often it is a silencing of black and it's not even black and white. It's women who are not considered white women um heterosexual white women like you have to Mm. give voice to especially the latinx community right now you have to the asian there's a lot when we say like as to your your point diversity yeah it's you have to widen this up and the person who's been at the cross-section of that for the the longest time an extreme as an extreme example have been black women yeah right so this is all women but so much of the issue stems from that kind of um issue of you're a woman, but you're also a black woman, you know, and what happens when you have 53% of black white women vote for President Trump and what that means and that being okay for them to do. But when you say the issues that he's sort of promoting and and you say that you're a feminist and then you have, you know, 94% of black women voting Democratic for Hillary, you know, this is, this is, this is, it speaks to a divided reality.
0: Yes, it does.
1: So I think your point is a good point, is yeah. what I'm saying. I love it.
0: You're not, <laughs> you're a. Woman. I know. I'm. A <laughs>
1: um, but no, it's. Thank you for making that's thai. exclusive for
0: your show. By I
1: appreciate. No, I. You know, this is my favorite kind of talk I, because it's, and that's a part of the theme. I. Th- and I'm, in, I'm gonna upload that those two audio files and me gibbering, um, because that's one of the focuses for this year for me is to not just focus on voices that interest me, people doing interesting work, it's to really center black women in the realm of politics. Uh, Because they're there, but they're oftentimes, even when they're on program, they are credentialed or they're doing the work in the community on the ground level. They're not often centered in the way that I would center them. Yeah, Um, And so I really... You know they'll be on a panel, and I'm like, you have the you said the fewer words. you call called on the least, but you're actually why I'm here.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> Say more.
1: Yeah, because you were actually because it's when you hear, in my experience, you hear black women speaking. Oftentimes, they're never just talking about themselves. It's usually trying to bring as many people to the conversation as possible, and that is very unique. Um, so I appreciate
0: that. You brought. I'm going to go ahead and bring this up yeah. just because now it's like on my heart. But you brought up the fact that there's, you know, you'll go to these events and there's panelists and then the person that you really want to speak isn't the one that's always speaking. So I went to a panel maybe about, this was maybe a year and a half, maybe almost two years ago. Um, and they were talking about what was going to be happening downtown to... um the area down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the downtown. The campus and the the gentrification happening. That's what it is. Right. And so there was a lady on the panel and I felt like there was probably nine people or so on the panel, girl. And I feel like the lady's opinion that I wanted to hear the most She didn't say as much, Mm -hmm. you know, and she was the one that was not necessarily for all of these changes that was going on downtown. Because I think the realistic thing is like, yes, it's cute. Yes, it's exciting to have something new. Bam. But what is going to happen to the people that's been living there their whole life? What happens to the woman who, you know, she's been living there for 30 years and her son has gone off to college? You know, that's been their home their whole, you know all of their years, where is his her son going to be able to come home to kind of yeah. thing. And she was the one that could speak from a place of I grew up there. And I felt like out of all the voices I wanted to hear her voice the loudest because it was truly her home. And when it's your home and you're talking about it, it comes from a different place than when you are a builder or you're there for um, to make money. Yeah, it's your job. Um, yeah, You're there for economic reasons. And it doesn't, and mind you, it don't mean, and I know people saying stuff like, it ain't gonna change nothing. It's not about a change. It's about the fact that we heard their voice and it was heard. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, to me, that's what it was Yeah,
1: about. it's oftentimes in political discourses, that they're not centered, they're not really invited. And if they're invited, they're just kind of a token that's there on a checklist. And so mm. I just want to, this year, Particularly in the next few months, I'm get six months really kind of bringing together some of those voices and capture them, because I don't find them easily enough, yeah. and I'm always looking. Yeah, you know there are people who are writing articles who are doing real work around these topics, but they're not getting the bylines. Yeah, they're not. They're not getting the bylines. Yeah, um, you have to go to the small publications to get it. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. <laughs> and I'll be on your show. I think on the twelfth of February. Okay, it's February twelfth. Uh, I think so. Okay, or sometime, sometime, sometime this soon. month. Sometime soon. Sometime this month. Yes, yeah, um, you'll be able to tell your audience. All right. Well, thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: Oh